What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey May Larson. This episode, it's going to be a big catch-up on the NFL. I've really talked too much about the NFL over the last few weeks, so in this episode, I'm going to talk about the Christmas Day games to start off. I'll talk about the Giants and Rams game from last week, and then I'll talk about some headlines around the NFL, including Russell Wilson being benched a couple weeks ago, the future of Justin Fields in Chicago, and then Bill Belichick's future with the Patriots, and then I'll also preview the Giants-Eagles game as well, which is the last game of the season today for the New York Giants. So let's start off with the Christmas Day games. On Christmas Day, the Giants had a tough game to the Eagles, lost that one 33-25, but the Giants were right there at the end of the game, had the ball, even with the chance to go down the field and tie it with the touchdown a two-point conversion. They ended up falling short of that, but I'm proud of that fight. They were in that game. They didn't just roll over and just quit against the Eagles like we have in years past. It seems like the last time we beat the Eagles was 10 years ago because they've just been consistently beating us year after year, just like the Cowboys. Maybe today the Giants can find a way to beat the Eagles and beat them for the first time in years. But in that game on Christmas Day, the Giants didn't just quit. They had a chance at the end. They fought the entire game, and that's what I was proud of. And then even last week against the Rams, the Giants typically roll over against the Rams and just quit. That wasn't the case last week. The Giants fought in that one as well. Heading into that game, though, against the Eagles on Christmas Day, the Giants were coming off a 24-6 loss to New Orleans. I wasn't a big fan of the Saints' defense in that game, mocking Tommy DeVito. They had a few big sacks against him, and then they did his hand gesture celebration after sacking him. Wasn't really a big fan of that. Thought they were a little bit chippy for that. The Giants were down in that game 7-6 at halftime. The Giants had a big 40-yard field goal at halftime from the Scottish hammer, Jamie Gillen, their punter. Randy Bullock went down earlier in that game. So the Giants had to have Gillen kick a field goal, and he ended up making a big field goal, making it a 7-6 game at half. The Giants were in that game. But the offense really couldn't get things going in the second half. Tommy DeVito wasn't really great in that one, which I worried. Before that game, I recorded an episode of preview, and I said I thought that was going to be a tough game for DeVito. I thought the Giants were set up for a letdown game against that defense on the road at New Orleans. And that ended up being the case. DeVito was 20-34 passing, 177 yards, was sacked seven times in that game. I was very worried about that Giants offense versus Saints defense. And it was a letdown game, like I unfortunately predicted before that one. And then Derek Carr had a big day as well. Three passing touchdowns for the Saints offense. The Giants couldn't get to him much. The pass rush just wasn't there in that game. So the Giants end up falling in that game. Then they face the Eagles, as I said, on Christmas Day. Ended up losing by eight. But the Giants outscore the Eagles 22-13 in the second half. Which, as I said now two or three times, I was proud of the Giants' fight in that game against Philly. They didn't give up despite being down 20-3 at halftime. Could have been another Eagles blowout over the Giants. But the Giants' defense really stepped up in the second half. A big fumble recovery on the opening half kickoff in the second half. It was a poor play by Olamide Zacchaeus, a wide receiver on the Philadelphia Eagles. Ended up running into the kick returner for the Philadelphia Eagles. The Giants ended up recovering the ball, and it ended up leading to a Saquon Bakley touchdown run, which got the Giants back in the game. And the Giants also looked for a spot on offense and decided to bench Tommy DeVito in the second half of that game. Tyra Taylor took over as a starter in the second half, which was tough to see for Tommy touchdowns. But as I said the week before when they were playing the Saints, I just figured the Giants were on a too good of a high winning three games in a row with DeVito, and I thought they were going to be set up for a letdown game. And then obviously the Eagles' defense, even though they're not having a great year statistically, against the Giants, they always find a way to make things hot on us. So DeVito didn't do much in that game. The Giants ended up handing the ball over to Tyrod Taylor. And maybe that was a spark the Giants needed on offense, which the Giants' defense did step up in that game. Adoree Jackson had a 76-yard pick six. It was honestly probably the highlight of the season, I'd say, as a Giants fan. Had a great play, picked off the ball, went up the sidelines. Jalen Hurts ended up having a horse call tackle in the end zone. Wasn't a big fan of that since Adoree Jackson was already in the end zone when that happened. But it made it a 20-16 game. Giants trailing by four points with nine seconds to go in the third quarter. 
Then the Giants went for two. They got it, made it a 20 to 18 game. And as I said, that was probably the highlight of the season as a Giants fan. I'm a bigger Dory Jackson fan. I've always loved him with the Giants. Probably my favorite player on the defense over the last couple seasons. Being able to see him have a pick six in a big play like that with all the momentum swinging in that game, that was awesome to see. Some other things that stood out to me in that game, some of the calls from the referees were atrocious in that game, and I'm not one to blame the referees after every loss, but a few costly penalties in that game were one-sided against the Giants. There was a delay of game penalty on Bobby O'Karake before halftime. Time would have ran out. Philadelphia wouldn't have gotten a field goal since Jalen Hurts stayed in bounds rather than going out of bounds, and it would have saved them time to kick a field goal. But the referees thought Okereke laid on Jalen Hurts, even though Jalen Hurts, I guess, fumbled the ball, and Okereke thought it was maybe a fumble, so that's why he laid on him trying to get the ball. But nevertheless, the penalty was a delay game on the Giants, so it stops the clock, gives the Eagles a field goal, which ends up making a big difference in that game. And then on a fourth and five call, Jalen Carter jumped off sides, but the referees called a false start on John Michael Schmitz on the Giants, ended up stopping the Giants from being able to go for it on fourth down, they ended up having to punt the ball in the second half in a drive. I think it was in the fourth quarter. That was a big difference maker. But even though the Philadelphia Eagles were called for nine penalties in this game, I feel like the more costly penalties were against the Giants. Killing a drive on offense and then also giving the Philadelphia Eagles a field goal at halftime, that was a big issue there for the Giants. There were a few key misses from Tyrod Taylor in this game that were difference makers as well. On third and four with seven minutes and 42 seconds left in the third quarter, the Giants were on the 45-yard line of the Philadelphia Eagles. They would have had a first down. But a bad pass from Tyrod Taylor to Saquon Barkley ended up being a bad play where Saquon maybe could have caught the ball, even though it was a bad pass. It did hit his hands. Should have hit Barkley in the chest, though, nevertheless. Ends up going incomplete, and that obviously ends up stalling a drive there. And then a bad throw to Darren Waller on fourth and one with eight minutes left in the game. It was a nine-point game in the fourth quarter. And it probably would have been a 42-yard touchdown pass from Taylor to Waller, but Waller wasn't hitting stride, too short of a throw by Tyra Taylor, and ends up going down as an incompletion on fourth and one, and obviously a big what-if situation there for the Giants. Had Darren Waller and Tyra Taylor found a way to connect on that pass there. But at the end of the day, the Giants did fight in that game. That's one thing that I'm happy with. Tommy DeVito did struggle to move the ball in the first half. That was the second week in a row he wasn't really moving the ball, which prompted Brian Dabo to make the switch over to Tyra Taylor. Tyra Taylor had a great touchdown pass, a 69-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton. Ended up making it a 30-25 game with 5 minutes and 22 seconds left. Tyra finished that game in the second half, 7-16 passing, 133 yards, a touchdown in an interception, which that interception was on the last drive of the game. The Giants got down to about the 25-yard line, but were picked in the end zone to end the game. But that was a week where the Giants had a chance at the end of the game, just like last week against the Rams. The Giants were two weeks in a row playing two teams in the playoffs. The Eagles and the Rams had a chance to win the game late. Saquon Barkley looked very good at the end of that game against the Eagles. was 23 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. I loved what I saw from Bobby Okereke yet again. 10 tackles that game and a pass deflection. He's been great this season for the Giants. And then Deontay Banks stood out for the defense as well. Had six tackles, played very hard, and was very strong in coverage against those Eagles receivers. As for Jalen Hurts, he had a good game passing the ball, 300 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Got out of some big potential sacks and turned them into some big plays, including a third and 20 play at the start of the fourth quarter. The Giants ended up being down in that situation 20 to 18. So if the Giants found a way to sack Jalen Hurts down 20 to 18, they could have potentially gotten the ball back at the start of the fourth quarter, down two points with all the momentum going their way. But Jalen Hurts ended up escaping the sack, throwing a 32-yard pass to A.J. Brown for a first down. Ended up being a touchdown drive for the Eagles to make it even harder on the Giants in their comeback. 
Momentum could have flipped even more had the Giants got that stop on third and 20. That's just not the way things went, unfortunately. Wink Montdale did blitz a lot in this game. Would have been hot for the Giants' defense to get pressure on that Philly offensive line without blitzing. So Montdale blitzed a ton. Ended up making things a little bit harder on Hurts, but he got out of a lot of potential sacks. But at the end of the day, I'm proud of the Giants for the way they fought in that one. I thought they would have given Philly a run for their money in that game. That was what I predicted before the game. I thought the Giants would be in that one. And that obviously ended up being the case. Philly was struggling heading into that game. Three losses in a row. And even could have lost that one to the Giants, but they found a way to win that one. But I'll talk about the Giants in Eagles game for today. At the end of this episode, I'll preview that. So let's move on and talk about the Raiders upsetting the Chiefs on Christmas Day, 20-14. to Aiden O'Connell started the game hot for the Raiders in the first quarter. Then he had like 10 consecutive incompletions at one point. So the Raiders found a way to win that game, but it was more of a scrappy win for them. Their defense really stepped up. The offense for Vegas only had 200 yards. So they did rely heavily on the defense in that game, which they did step up, made it very hot on Patrick Mahomes. Malcolm Koontz had three sacks, six tackles, four tackles for loss, and four quarterback hits in the game. Had his best game as a pro. Really liked him out of the University of Buffalo a few years ago, and now he's obviously making plays for that Raiders defense, which is great to see. Mahomes was sacked four times in that game, was hit ten times as well, and did throw a pick six to Jack Jones, who had a pick six in consecutive weeks for that Raiders defense. A very talented defensive back that had some troubles off the field with the Patriots. They ended up trading him for a late draft pick to the Raiders, and obviously he was thriving now at the end of the season for that Raiders defense. And his pick six in that game against the Chiefs gave the Raiders their second touchdown within seven seconds of the second quarter. The first touchdown was a bad exchange between Mahomes and Isaiah Pacheco. Ended up being a fumble return touchdown for a Vegas defensive lineman. And then the next drive for the Chiefs, a pick six from Jack Jones made a great read on the play, a pass across the field that he read very well and obviously returned it for a touchdown. Mahomes just did not look right in that game, was visibly frustrated, finished the game with a touchdown and an interception and 235 passing yards. They had a lot of miscues in that game, the Chiefs, a missed chip shot field goal from Harrison Butker, and they continued to have issues with drops. They definitely need a wide receiver or two in the NFL draft, I'd say, this year. Maybe even in day one, I think they should probably go a wide receiver in the first round. I liked the Raiders to be in that game, but I didn't expect them to win. I thought them being an 11-point underdog was crazy. I thought they'd cover that in that game. But I didn't expect them to win that game. And the Chiefs found a way to lose that one. Just a lot of mistakes. And obviously Mahomes was visibly frustrated. The Chiefs have to find a way to figure things out with their wide receiver group. But that'll probably have to be something that happens in the offseason, in the draft, and in free agency. And then in the last Christmas Day game, the Ravens took down the 49ers on Monday Night Football, 33-19. I thought the Ravens would win that game, mainly because their defense puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And their secondary is definitely strong enough to keep good coverage and force turnovers against any offense in the league. And that ended up being the storyline of the game. The Ravens' defense just dominated Brock Purdy in that 49ers offense, forcing a career-high four interceptions out of Brock Purdy. He just did not look right in that game. The Niners did have a lead, though, early in that game in the first quarter. They were up 5-3 to three after having a safety against Lamar Jackson. He was tripped in the end zone, though, by a referee. And the crazy thing is, that referee that tripped Lamar Jackson was the only guy to stop him in that game. After that play, the Ravens completely took over the game, outscoring the 49ers 30-14 to over the last three quarters. Brock Purdy finished the game 18-32 of passing, 255 yards in four interceptions. His worst game is a starter for sure. Baltimore just put him under duress every single play, and that really took the MVP convo away from Brock Purdy and basically handed it to Lamar Jackson, who would definitely be the MVP, considering how good he was at the end of the season for Baltimore. Lamar looked great in that game, 23 of 35 passing, with 252 passing yards and two passing touchdowns. Was crisp ball game, played comfortably in the second half, 
And mainly because the defense kept putting pressure on Brock Purdy. Lamont didn't have to force anything downfield. That ended up being a big difference maker in that game. Zay Flowers looked awesome as well. Nine catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. What a great rookie season for him out of Boston College. A guy that I was a big fan of at BC. And now is already making big plays as a rookie for that Ravens offense. A Ravens offense that's been great running the ball for years, but they never really had a wide receiver to go to, especially consistently downfield. And now Zay Flowers is that option for them. A great deep shot, home run chance receiver. And obviously now you see him putting up big numbers in that offense this season. So now I'm going to move on and talk about the Giants' close loss to the Los Angeles Rams last week, 26-25. to The Giants actually had a chance to end the game with a game-winning field goal, but Mason Crosby was a little bit short on the 54-yard kick. Tough to expect him to make that one, but I was proud of the Giants' fight in this game yet again. A lot of the young players stood out, including Wanda Robinson, Jordan Riley, who was a seventh-round pick, a defensive lineman this past draft, and then Dane Belton looked very good as well. Wanda Robinson had a great touchdown run earlier in the game. I think it was a 20, 23-yard touchdown run. Had some shifty speed around the edge. And then Dane Belton had a great day as well. Got more playing time over the last couple weeks and really took advantage of it. Had two tackles, two interceptions, and a fumble recovery in that game. The Giants' defense did step up in that one. Nick McLeod poked the ball away from Demarcus Robinson, ended up forcing a fumble there, and then obviously it was recovered by Dane Belton, who also had two interceptions as well. So three turnovers on the day taken away by Dane Belton. That's obviously great for a young player that's just starting to get some playing time in that Giants defense. Bobby Okereke has probably been the defensive MVP, maybe even the MVP for the Giants overall this season. And he probably should have been a pro bowler, but I know it's a popularity contest. But he continued to have a hot season with 10 tackles last week, two sacks, and a tackle for a loss. Had a great game yet again. Obviously, it ends up not being the way the Giants wanted it to end. They didn't end up winning the game. But there were a lot of good takeaways for the Giants in that game. For one, the Rams seemed to always blow the Giants out. And that wasn't the case in this game. The Giants actually gave it back to the Rams and stayed competitive in this one. So I can be proud of that. Also proud of the young guys that got some more playing time. As I said, Jordan Riley looked pretty good on the defensive line. Dade Belton, Wanda Robinson, Darius Slayton. All of those guys making plays for the offense and the defense. And one other thing that was great, the Giants are still playing hard no matter their record, no matter who they're playing against. They're still playing hard for Brian Dable, which is great to see. Because when you have a losing season and things just don't go your way from the beginning of the year when the Giants had a blocked field goal return for a touchdown by Dallas, things did not go the Giants' way at the start of the season. It's easy to lose a locker room. It's easy to point fingers. But it seems like the Giants are still playing hard, which is great to see. So it's good to see that the Giants still have faith in Brian Dable. The players are still buying in and they're still playing hard. In this game, it was yet another week where Tyrod Taylor found Darius Slayton on a deep touchdown pass. An 80-yard touchdown pass, 60 yards in the air from Taylor to Slayton. Probably the prettiest touchdown pass I saw all season. Definitely for the Giants and maybe overall in the NFL. Two weeks in a row that Slayton was found on a deep touchdown from Tyrod Taylor. We'll see if that does continue today. One thing that Tyrod Taylor did poorly in this game yet again was missing on some short throws. The deep pass he has down typically is a pretty throw. But the short routes and the mid routes have been tough passes for Taylor over the last couple weeks. He's really struggled on those throws and has been throwing low and short of the receivers. So that's something he has to do better in today's game. But one thing that was positive for the Giants is that the Giants' offense was pretty much even with the Rams this game. It was 391 to 389 for total yards between the Rams and the Giants. And the Giants won the time of possession battle 36 to 24, which is obviously great to see. That's not typically the Giants against the Rams. The Rams typically dominate time of possession and obviously have put up big numbers against the Giants the last two times they played them heading into this game. One thing that was another problem for the Giants that's just been a problem for the last few years, and honestly, I'd say for the last decade, 
is the offensive line. They allowed six sacks in this game, and that's something the Giants will have to address in the offseason. Probably is another upgrade at guard, an upgrade at right tackle, and then probably another offensive line coach since Bobby Johnson has just not gotten it done over the last couple seasons. One major turning point in this game that I want to highlight before transitioning to this week's game between the Giants and the Eagles was the major spark from Gunnar Olszewski, who had a 58-yard punt return touchdown for the Giants, ended up making it a one-point game with three minutes and 49 seconds to go. The Giants ended up going for two to try to get the lead. Not a great throw from Tyrod Taylor to say Quan, if I remember right. Ends up being the difference maker there. The Giants end up losing the game by one. But they got a major punt return there from Gunnar, and it ended up being the Giants' first punt return touchdown since Dwayne Harris had one in 2015, who was a very underrated Giant in the limited days he had with the Giants, was great as a punt returner, a kick returner, and even had some touchdown catches as well from Eli Manning. But that punt return touchdown completely flipped the game, and it reminded me of that Adoree Jackson pick six against the Eagles from the week prior on Christmas Day. Just a very similar situation. The Giants were down in that game, just like the Eagles game and the Rams game. They're down in both of those games, and they found a way to come back, make some big plays on defense, and obviously had a big punt return touchdown last week. Making plays on defense and on special teams can definitely change a game and flip momentum, and that's obviously what happened. Two tough, close losses there for the Giants, but that's against two playoff teams, the Eagles and the Rams, and the Giants held their own in both of those games. So now I'm going to transition and talk about the Giants and Eagles Week 18 game, the season finale for the Giants, which will likely be the last game for Sterling Shepard as a Giant, which honestly I'm hoping ends up meaning that the Giants are going to force him the ball today and try to get him one last touchdown as a Giant. He embodies everything that being a Giant is all about. He played hard every single game, battled no matter what the score or record was for the Giants, endured so many injuries, overcame so many battles, so many losing seasons, was here for four head coaches and three general managers, a lot of ups and downs, but it never affected him. He never let it affect him. He was always smiling, was always a great leader, always had reliable hands over the middle, and was a true class guy for the Giants and a guy that deserves nothing but the best. One of my favorite Giants ever, and I'm hoping the Giants find a way to get him one more touchdown as a Giant in today's game. A few touchdown scores from Sterling Shepard that stood out to me over his career. My favorite one was his touchdown in 2018, 53 seconds left against San Francisco. The Giants were on the road, I believe it was Monday Night Football, and Shepard had a game-winning touchdown with 53 seconds to go from Eli Manning. And then last year, he had a big touchdown in Week 1 against Tennessee, ended up being a major turning point in that game in the second half for the Giants. And then his touchdown this year against Dallas, even though it was a blowout and that was the end of the game, it was really just garbage time, but it was nice to see Tommy DeVito forcing the ball to Sterling Shepard three times in the last drive and trying to find a way to get him in the end zone. And I expect Tyra Taylor to do the same today, forcing the ball to Shepard and trying to get him one more touchdown as a giant because he deserves it more than anyone. He actually needs just three catches to finish top five in most receptions in Giants history, which would obviously be great to see. So hopefully he finds a way to get three catches today. I would say that's pretty much a lock. I expect the Giants to force him the ball. As for some injuries for the Giants, Paris Campbell will be in an active. I think that's more of a healthy scratch. Deontay Banks and John Michael Schmitz will both be inactive with injuries. As for the Eagles, they will not have Darius Slay, Fletcher Cox, Devontae Smith, or DeAndre Swift. I expect Boston Scott though, to score a touchdown in today's game since DeAndre Swift won't be playing. If the Eagles do win this game and the Cowboys lose to Washington, the Eagles would win the division. So the Eagles have something to play for in this game. With that being said, I've kept this same stance all season with the Giants, and honestly, my perspective on tanking has always been I'd rather win games than tank. I understand why teams sometimes want to tank to try to get a higher draft pick and get the right quarterback, but for years the Giants tanked. They lost games, a lot of close games especially over the years, 
where fans are happy with that loss because we got a higher draft pick, but just because you get a higher draft pick doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to hit on that pick. The Giants have had their fair share of high picks, and we've tanked for years, and we missed on a lot of draft picks at the same time. Eric Flowers was a miss. Eli Apple was a miss. Kadarius Toney was a miss. Even DeAndre Baker was a miss. And I know we traded back into the first round to get him, but that was still a first-round miss. Just because you have an extra first-round pick or you have a high first-round pick doesn't always mean you're going to make the right pick. I'd always rather win games and develop a winning culture. A winning culture is more important than moving up in the draft from the seventh pick to the fifth pick. If you want to move up in the draft, you can always trade up. Normalizing losing and normalizing just giving up and just quitting and tanking isn't good for the locker room. And a lot of players and coaches in their livelihood and their future in the league all comes down to wins, losses, and how they're performing on the field. You don't want to just lose games or hire a draft pick because that could affect your future in the league and whether or not you're going to get another contract elsewhere. So I do want the Giants to finish the year strong. I'm hoping they can stay close in this game. And honestly, with all those Eagles injuries, DeAndre Swift, Darius Slay, Fletcher Cox, Devontae Smith, with all of those injuries, I do expect the Giants to be in this game. I'm going to predict a Giants win. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Giants finish the year with the win over the Eagles. We've lost five straight games to Philly, but I think they find a way to beat them today. And I think the Giants win today's game by a field goal, let's say 24-21 New York Giants. With a touchdown score from Wanda Robinson and a touchdown from Sterling Shepard. Would love both those guys to score in today's game. It's an important game, though, for the Giants. You have a lot of guys that could potentially be playing in their last game as a New York Giant. Saquon Barkley is a free agent after the season's over. Will he be franchise tagged again, or are the Giants just going to let him walk? Sterling Shepard playing in his last game as a New York Giant. Xavier McKinney, a free agent after the season's over, could be his last game as a Giant. Donna Holmes, his last game potentially as a New York Giant. Adoree Jackson, potentially his last game as a New York Giant. There are a lot of guys here that are playing in their last game as a New York Giant and they'd love to end this season with a win. And you can see just based on the way the Giants have been playing over the last three or four weeks, they are still trying to win games, they are still playing hard, and they're still trying to make plays. So I expect the Giants to be in this game, and as I said, I'm predicting a field goal win for the Giants, 24-21, with a touchdown score from Wanda Robinson and Sterling Shepard. Wanda Robinson has been great this season, a guy I'm very high on, and I'd love to see him have another great game, just like he's been doing for the most part over the last two or three weeks. So now I'm going to transition and talk about some headlines across the NFL over the last few weeks. We'll start off with the Chargers who a few weeks ago decided to fire their head coach, Brandon Staley, and also fire their general manager, Tom Telesco. And honestly, I think it was the right decision for this team. Brandon Staley, I never thought was the answer for them at the head coaching position. I always thought he was making questionable calls every single week, just like when he's going for it on fourth and two inside his own 25-yard line in the first quarter. And then after it fails consecutive times and just time after time, he'd say, oh, analytics told us to go for it. And I was never a fan of a lot of those calls, He's had some tough, tough games over his tenure with the Chargers. In 2021, there was an overtime game between the Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. 38 seconds left in overtime. If the game ends in a tie, which it probably would have been if he didn't call timeout, both teams would have made the playoffs, the Raiders and the Chargers. He decides to call timeout with 38 seconds left, lets the Raiders have another chance to try to move the ball down the field with the clock stopped, and the Raiders end up kicking a game-winning field goal, and it eliminates the Chargers from making the playoffs. Then in 2022, last season... The Chargers were up 27-0 in the first half against Jacksonville in the wildcard round, and they ended up collapsing and losing that game 31-30. An utter collapse on defense and offense and special teams and coaching. Just a huge meltdown of failure by that team last season. And Staley's a big part of it. And then this year in his last game with the Chargers, 
They were blown out 63-21 to against the Raiders, a team that has struggled offensively for the most part all season, and that was the most points allowed in Chargers history. And Staley's supposed to be a defensive-minded coach. But just questionable decisions over the last couple seasons. And one thing you can't really doubt with this Chargers team is the talent. They do have a lot of talent. Telesco did bring in a lot of talent during his time with the Chargers. I know the offensive line is and was an issue in years past and still is. But for the most part, there is a lot of talent on this team. Bringing in Joey Boza, Mike Williams, Khalil Mack, Derwin James. He did bring in a lot of talent for this team. And they underperformed not just because of coaching, but the offensive line was an issue. But it was more Staley that I think was the problem with the Chargers, not Telesco. But at the end of the day, it's better probably just to start completely new, get a new head coach, get a new front office, and just restart. Get an offensive line and help out Justin Herbert. So now I'm going to move on to talk about Caleb Williams and Justin Fields. The Chicago Bears have the first overall pick in this upcoming draft in April. And honestly, I do think Caleb Williams is getting overrated. I know a lot of people are big fans of him and everybody wanted their teams to tank for him. And that's okay. That's all well and good. He is a good player. But Dan Olofsky at ESPN a couple weeks ago was saying he was a combination of Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson, which is just a wild comparison in my eyes. And it's honestly some expectations that are going to be very hard to live up to. Caleb Williams is going to have a hard time living up to expectations of a mixture of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson, three of the best quarterbacks this season in the NFL. What would I do if I were the Chicago Bears? I think the Bears should roll with Justin Fields. If they keep him, you could trade down from the first overall pick Probably go down to three or four, get a haul in return for the first overall pick, maybe even add in another first rounder from that team, just like they did last season, moving down in that draft with the Carolina Panthers. Ended up getting the Carolina Panthers first round pick in this year's draft. You could get a similar haul, maybe even more, considering everybody loves Caleb Williams and Drake May, and then build around Justin Fields even more. Because you're going to have another draft pick probably for next year. If you trade down, you'll probably add that team's first round pick for next season. And you can also maybe draft Marvin Harrison Jr. with the third or fourth overall pick. And then you also have either the ninth or tenth overall pick as well. And you could add even more at that spot too. So what would I do if I were the Chicago Bears? I would build around Justin Fields. If they trade Justin Fields though, I'd love to see him go to one of these two places. I think Atlanta would be a great fit since they have offensive weapons and a good defense. They're still missing probably one more wide receiver, but you could take care of that in the offseason. And then the Las Vegas Raiders. Devontae Adams is still a stud. Who knows if they're going to bring back Josh Jacobs. But I think he'd be fun to watch with Devontae Adams. And maybe even Josh Jacobs if they brought him back. Fields does have a chance today, though, to win his job in Chicago for the future. They're playing against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau. It's an important game for the Packers. And last week, Bears fans were chanting at Soldier Field that they want Justin Fields to still be their quarterback. And Fields was a fan of that. And that's a nice gesture to see that he's still getting support from Chicago. The Bears did lose... Three games this season in the fourth quarter when they had two possession leads in a couple games. They lost twice to Detroit and once to Denver. I think all three of those games, they were up by two possessions or more. And they found ways just to completely fall apart in the fourth quarter. But if you add those three wins there, or let's say two of those games you win, the Bears are in a much different position right now. They're 4-1 in the last five games. Justin Fields started in all five of those games. Four passing touchdowns and three picks. Also does have two fumbles lost over that five-game stretch but has added just about 300 yards on the ground running and three rushing touchdowns. And they're 4-1 of those last five games. So if you found a way to win two of those three games earlier this season when they just found a way to completely collapse, Chicago would probably have a chance right now with the playoffs. Does Justin Fields still have things to work on? Yes. But I still think he can be the franchise guy in Chicago. And as I said, I would trade down from the first overall pick to let's say the third or fourth pick, take Marvin Harrison Jr. or whoever the Chicago Bears want at that pick, 
and then build around Justin Fields more. Add another offensive lineman with their second first-round pick, which is right now, I think, the ninth or tenth pick, and try to find a way just to help Justin Fields add offensive line, add another wide receiver, and also maybe even add to that defense a little bit, which has been playing a lot better over the second half of the season. With all that being said, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Chicago went in a different direction and got rid of Justin Fields. And that's just because Justin Fields has one more year left on his rookie contract, does have a fifth-year option they can pick up as well, and if you draft a rookie quarterback, that's at least four guaranteed years and even a fifth-year option that you could pick up and have five years of a quarterback making very minimal money compared to what quarterbacks are getting on the free agent market nowadays. So we'll see what happens. It's up to Ryan Poles, the general manager for Chicago. And as I said, I wouldn't be surprised with either direction they go. What would I do? I would keep Justin Fields. What do I think Chicago's going to do right now the way things currently stand? Even with Justin Fields playing better football over the last five games, I know his stats don't look crazy. Four passing touchdowns and three picks. Does have three rushing touchdowns over that stretch. I know he's playing a little better football. They're winning some games at four and one. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they go out and get Caleb Williams. And that's just because maybe they would just want to restart, get a second or third round pick in return for Justin Fields, restart with the new quarterback, and then figure things out. As I said, though, I would roll with Justin Fields and see if you can build around him even more by trading down to the draft. We'll see what they do, though. I think it'll be very interesting to see what Chicago does come April in the draft. So now I'm going to move on to talk about Russell Wilson, who was just benched a couple weeks ago. So this is another piece of news that's outdated, just like Staley getting fired by the Chargers. But Russell Wilson was just benched a week ago by the Denver Broncos. He's due $39 million guaranteed next season for 2024. But he'd also get $37 million guaranteed in the 2025 season if he were to not be able to pass a physical this coming March. So the Broncos sat him last week and are going to sit him today in order to keep him healthy and in order to stay away from giving him more money if he were to not be able to pass a physical in March. So that basically ends a Russell Wilson era in Denver. And now when you look back at that trade and everything they gave up, it looks even worse today than it did back then. And back then when the trade went down, I thought it was way too much for Russell Wilson. I thought he was declining. Even though he had a better bounce back here this season, he really struggled last year. And this season wasn't enough for them to say, let's try to run it again for another year. So it seems like after this season ends, Russell Wilson will no longer be a Denver Bronco. So the trade looks even worse now. In hindsight, it looks even worse. Considering how much they gave up, and then you also look at the extension they gave him, fully guaranteed extension they gave him when they made that trade. In his last four games at Denver, they were 1-3. and three. They lost to the Patriots, which was very disappointing, considering that Denver was pretty good midway through the season. They really turned their season around. They had a chance at the playoffs. Then when you lose to the Patriots, that's basically a nail in the coffin. So Sean Payton said, we're looking for a spot on offense, and he turns to Jared Stidham, which Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Jared Stidham. I know it's a financial reason for the reason why they sat Russell Wilson. He's obviously better than Jarrett Stidham. I think he gives them a better chance to win. But the Broncos were 1-3 in their last four games at Russ. Didn't really have a great chance at the playoffs after that 1-3 stretch. So they end up sitting Russell Wilson to try to tank and also save some money. But before getting benched, Russ was playing some good football this season. 3,000 passing yards, 26 passing touchdowns, which was tied for sixth in the NFL when he was benched last week. And he also was the seventh best passer in passer rating before getting benched. So it's hard to really believe Sean Payton when he says they were looking for a spot at offense and that's the reason they benched Russell Wilson. It's financial for the most part. And then obviously, yes, you were one in three and four games, but it's financial. That's the reason they benched Russell Wilson. That makes the most sense. And that's obviously the clear reason. So for the last segment here, before I close the episode, I'm going to talk about the Patriots and where they currently stand. Heading into today, last game of the season, this season did not go the way the Patriots wanted it to. But the last couple seasons have been a real struggle for this Patriots team. Once Tom Brady left after the 2019 season, 
The Panthers have only made the playoffs once in four seasons. Once in four seasons, and they have won no playoff games since Tom Brady left. So no matter what the Patriots did this season, the clock was ticking on Bill Belichick. Heading into this season, the Patriots were struggling last year. They were 8-9 and nine last season, and the clock was ticking no matter what they did this year. So with them being 4-12 and 12 heading into this week, obviously there's a big question mark of Bill Belichick's future. What are the Patriots going to do, and what does Robert Kraft want to do with this franchise for the future? Does he want to run it back with Bill Belichick for another season, or is it just best to pot ways and go from there? Whether it's a trade, whether it's a mutual parting of ways, whether it's a firing, what is the best way for the Patriots to move forward? Right now, I think Bill Belichick's biggest issue isn't Bill Belichick as a coach, it's Bill Belichick as a GM. His ability to acquire talent has been a problem for this team. He's not a bad coach, but it's his drafting that's the issue with this Patriots team right now. He neglected the offensive line in the draft and neglected the skill position players. If you look at the Patriots wide receiver group, it's probably the worst in the NFL talent-wise. So that's why I felt bad for Mac Jones. He didn't really have much to work with this season, and it seems like he's probably gone after the season ends as well. So what are the Patriots going to do with Bill Belichick? I think this is the end of the road for Bill Belichick in New England. Not really too sure if it's going to be a firing, a mutual potting of ways, or a trade, but they're going to talk about it this coming week. They still could keep him and run it back, but I think right now the Patriots are probably just going to split ways with Bill Belichick mutually and let him just walk. You could trade him. You probably still could get back a draft pick in return since he's not a bad coach. It's just more of an issue with him as a general manager. But I think they're going to end up going in a different direction after the season ends. And obviously these last few seasons haven't gone the way the Patriots wanted it to. But you can't really expect a dynasty to stay on top forever. Sports are a cycle of winning and losing. You're going to have a lot of years in a row where you're losing. And then things can turn around with a great draft pick or a new general manager, a new coach, a new quarterback. And it's also the same way when you're winning as well. You're going to have some years of winning in a row, and then things are just going to fall apart. Guys will go their different directions in free agency. Injuries happen. Coaches go elsewhere. Sports are a big cycle of winning and losing. So you can't really expect the Patriots to stay on top forever. And that's the one tough thing here for Belichick. Once Tom Brady left, the Patriots never got that dominance back. Once Brady left, the dominance left with them. So we'll see what the future holds for Bill Belichick, but I do think the Patriots will have a new coach and a new general manager for next season. So we'll see what happens with the Patriots. We'll see what happens with the rest of the NFL. There's a lot of coaches that are on the hot seat. Arthur Smith being one, Ron Rivera, Bill Belichick, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. Tomorrow's going to be a big day in the NFL since every single year, the Monday after the season ends, there's a lot of head coaches that are fired in football. So I'll keep you guys updated on that. I'll probably record an episode tomorrow on the Clippers. They have a big game tonight against the Lakers. The Lakers are ice cold heading into this game, and the Clippers have been one of the best teams in the NBA over the last 24. They are 19-5 and in the last 24 games, and have just been awesome to watch. I'm just enjoying every single moment this team has. I know, obviously, this could be a one-and-done year for them. James Harden's a free agent after the season's over. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard could both opt out after the season ends. Tyron Lue, I'm pretty sure, only is under contract for the rest of this season. And Russell Westbrook, I'm pretty sure, could opt out of his two-year deal after the season ends as well. So I'm just enjoying this ride while we can. Hopefully the Clips can find a way to win tonight's game. I'll probably talk about that tomorrow. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.